Welcome to another episode of the Joanna Whaley Podcast. I'm so excited you joined me today. We're going to be continuing my conversation with my good friend, Stephanie, who hosts her own podcast called Focus on Your Own Family. I do suggest going to find her podcast anywhere you listen to your podcasts. It is wonderful. But also, I want to let you know about a couple live events coming up. I have two concerts coming up in Toledo, Ohio, and East Lansing, Michigan. If you live in those areas, tickets are free on my website, joannawhaley.com. I would love for you to join me. Also, at the end of the week, just three days away, my brand new EP called Freedom comes out anywhere you get music. So mark your calendar, get ready, and let's share this music and get it to the people who need to hear it. Well, let's continue my conversation that I had with Stephanie about conversion therapy. Here we go. For everyone born A place at the table For everyone born Yeah, I hear this often, the ultimatum. Mm -hmm. And the ultimatum is either from a church or from parents to their children and it's frustrating because it sounds like that biblical counselor which that's not counseling that's not a therapist if if you're listening right now and you are going to somebody that is a biblical counselor that is that's not counseling that is not therapy yeah huge red flag anybody that uses the bible to justify their advice to you is not okay to go to period there's no ifs, ands, that's unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Therapy needs to be done by somebody that has credentials after their name, just yeah. LICSW, LMHC, that sort of thing. They've typically gone to at the bare minimum, they have a master's yeah, and some of them a PhD and they're board certified, which means they are like held accountable yeah. by the board. Also, they can be sued for they uh, they're licensed through the state so they can be sued they can lose the ability to practice therapy that's not how it is with biblical counselors there's not an overhead and if there is an overhead it's loose and it's it's just as toxic as the system that they're operating in yeah and what they try to do which is what happened in this first session is they try to do things they are not qualified or trained to do so they try to do trauma therapy with me and try to dig at what they thought the problem was. Never was I asked what the problem was. I just laid out my life to them. I laid out my family structure and they tried to find the problem where in therapy, you know, you, the, the client, the patient, they're leading the conversation They're the one leading. But in this, what happened was, is they say, you grew up with a mom and a grandma. Your dad was absent. That's the problem. We're going to dig into that. And so trauma therapy began there. And man, was that terrible. (laughs) Because all of a sudden, I start feeling just this anxiety of my family failed me when they never did. Like, I, I start getting resentful of my mom because... She's a woman. And because of her influence in my life, I wanted, I had this sin problem because I wanted to be like her. 
And that's what they would do. They would, then this first round of conversion therapy was really just trying to point problems out and do trauma therapy. And, and also I felt like at times we're implanting things into my mind that weren't there to begin with. I feel like trauma was made up that never happened because they would get me in this emotional state, like this hypnotic state in prayer and like weird noises. They would get me all off base. And then like they would pick out one tiny little trauma that happened and then embellish it into a major problem. And this was, and so I made it about eight months. I did about eight months every week for eight months. I went through this and it started to get so painful. I started to feel just, I started to feel horrible and but I was told that I had to keep doing it by my church or I would lose my job, lose my house, lose everything. And, but then something started to happen where there became this external pressure from outside of therapy to be okay. And that those pressures were pastoral. They were spiritual. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of the silver ring thing, but this was like this purity culture tour thing that used to go to all the like small level mega churches and try to convince all the teenagers to buy this like hundred dollar ring from them, of course, so they can make their money, but to say, I will wait for marriage. And it was like total focus on the family BS. Like, but we had this opportunity. We had started a band through our church and the band was doing really well. So the platform was building, it was getting bigger. And then we got this opportunity as our band to do some regional touring with this like purity silver ring thing. And then my best friend at the time became their like main preacher. And so here I am, I get this external pressure as a pastor and as a Christian that I need to have, I need to have my crap together. So I just, okay, I'm good guys. Look at me. I am not trans. I'm good, everybody. So I like dive full into hiding it at that point. Like I grow out the beard. I like, look, I don't shower for weeks. That's what I started doing <laughs> to try and yeah. Cause that was like what you did as a musician, but yeah. So like I just started pushing it down because I had so many external ministry pressures that I had to be okay. And so I had that and I just didn't want to go back because it was so horrible. But the whole time, that I was out of therapy. When I was home, I rented a house by myself, young person. I presented female at home. Yeah, even with a beard, I'm sure I look ridiculous. But like, I did it because it was comfortable to me. And I would just put on my boy clothes to go to work, go to church. That was what I had to live with. I had to hide it because I was a pastor and the platform was getting bigger. And I couldn't, I couldn't show that I wasn't okay anymore. Did you have a space where you kept your at-home wardrobe? Like, how did you manage this? Because you're at the time in your young 20s, you're a musician, you're a pastor. I'm sure people are coming over and just stopping by. And I had girlfriends because I had to have a beard. I had to have a female beard to show the world that I'm super straight. So, oh, yeah. I Here's the deal. I had this like trunk that I locked. And I threw it in my attic and I literally had to go to my attic every day to change. 
And I had to pull all the blinds because my neighbors were Christians. My other neighbors attended the church. I had to, it was very secretive. And that's so painful. Yeah. Like I, it's painful to hear the links that you had to go to be yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's, oh, how just like in the evangelical church, um, and honestly, a lot of the books that I have read that are either by Dobson or promoted by Dobson, so his favorite authors, it really, they really drive home that sin is done in secret. Yep. Luke 11. What is yeah. done in the secret, what is done in the inner rooms, we proclaim from the rooftops. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they, it's like, just, I don't know. I can just imagine you're going up to the attic and every day just thinking, of, co- of course it's hidden up here. Of course I have to work extra hard. It's God's way of telling me how bad I am. Mm. Like, just this, I, I hear it. I felt like anything that was outside of my small, submissive female role, yeah, it was sin. And so I could just imagine that like it was such a small level for me. And I just remember because you and I are, were similar because we're both creatives and anything we feel, we really feel. And anything that we think, we really think it. So going up to that attic was probably felt like a prison. Yeah. Yeah. If I was feeling like adventurous, I would go out to my garage at one in the morning when I knew everyone was asleep because I just wanted to be outside. I wanted to get outside of my house. And so I would go out to my garage and hang out there for a minute. And then I would go back inside. That's as far as I could go. And so that was the reality of what I was dealing with. And so I kept that, I kept that charade up for So my rhythm was about every two years, I would push it and then it would start coming back. And my dysphoria went on this two year, like wave where it would like, it would be manageable for me, even if I was at home, like I could manage it for a little bit, but my, like just putting on a couple clothes at home would be okay for a little while. But then like, it would really ramp and get really strong. And I was like, I just can't, I can't be a guy anymore. This is so painful. And So right about two years, I was like dating this girl. I'm doing church. Now, listen, things are going well. I'm in this band that's like touring like crazy from our church. We're getting songs on the radio, like all over. We're playing all these festivals. We're like opening for these huge bands all over the country. The platform just gets bigger and it gets wilder and the stakes get higher. So I feel I have to become more secretive about this, quote, sin in my life. One night, I'm home alone, and I'm dressed as I wanted to be, comfortable. And my girlfriend shows up unannounced to the house and catches me (laughs) and reports it to the pastors. Obviously, the relationship ends, and it was a whole mess. This time, my church told me, hey, your character is more, your character is more important than your gift. That's what they tell me. That's the line. 
even though the character of the people telling me this is complete trash, but uh, (laughs) I, they tell me again, Hey, we're actually going to remove you from stage for the next couple months. And we're going to send you back to this therapy again, this time, same place, different counselor. This time it became a lot of guilt shaming because my platform had gotten so big. So it turned into a guilt, a guilting of trying to redirect my behavior through guilt. So how that worked was my, I would tell my therapist and then the therapist would say things to me like, okay, explain what's going to happen to me if you get caught. Like what's going to happen. And so what they would do is he helped, he painted this picture to me that I would lose my band. I would lose my church. I would lose my job. I would lose my house. I would like end up. And then he like tried to convince me I would marry. He tried to like paint this picture to me of this really sloppy woman would be the only love I could ever find in my life. What? Yes. So he tried, what kind of partner would you attract if you were to just give into this lifestyle, he said. And he convinced me, he like painted this picture of a very sloppy sweatpant. He just, he sold me like this picture of a woman that is like really sloppy to me. Made me feel like I would never find love or love that's hot or attractive. Wow. There's so many things wrong with this. Yes. Um, First off, a counselor or a therapist's job is actually supposed to reframe anxiety. They're supposed to not push you towards it, but Mm -hmm. help you help give you the tools in your toolbox, if you will, on how to properly either meditate or somehow how to properly manage your anxiety. This person quite literally forced you to have catastrophic anxiety. Well, thank you again for joining me today on the podcast. If you are somebody who has experienced conversion therapy or you need support, please reach out at joannawhaley.com. Again, new EP coming out so soon. i love for you to mark your calendars coming out on Friday. And uh, this has been a production of Whaley Media. We'll be right back tomorrow with more of my interview with Stephanie from Focus on Your Own Family. We'll see you tomorrow.